Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is Tono's Chief Operations Officer, Shannon Crespin. Shannon is responsible for leading the company through scaling and achieving operational excellence in manufacturing, supply chain, delivery and installation, customer care and service repair. She brings over 25 years of experience in operations in a cross-section of industries from telecommunications, consumer products, healthcare and medical devices. Prior to joining Tonal, Shannon held an executive role at Johnson & Johnson, where she served as Depuy Synthes Vice President of Global Ortho... Gosh, these are big words for a small guy from Canada. Global Orthopedics Supply Chain, a $9 billion franchise with over 600 brands delivering products from 250 internal and external manufacturers. Before Shannon joined J&J, Shannon held a number of executive roles at Medtronic, where she grew several business lines over the course of 15 years, serving in various VP of global operations roles. She graduated from Metropolitan State University of Denver and holds an MBA from the University of Denver's Daniels College of Business. Um, Shannon, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Awesome. Glad to be here, Cameron. I'm curious why you got involved with Tonal, and I'll tell you why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because I got mildly obsessed with your brand. So tell me what, what got you interested in the company. Oh, well, um, I, I actually uh, have always had a passion for products that uh, help individuals from a wellness and health perspective. That's why I spent almost 20 years of my career mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, to medical device companies, Medtronic and J&J. &J. Um, but I also love the aspect of um, guiding people uh, through AI and machine learning to their end state goal. And so when I looked at Tonal, it brought both of those passions right to, to light for me. And, you know, I was coming back skiing um, and I said, let me go check out this, this, uh, this product. And I went in and within, uh, you know, three or four moves on the Tonal, I said, this thing rocks. I mean, this is an amazing technology, uh, has tons of tons of, opportunities, not only in sort of core strength training fitness, but also how do you support patients coming out of physical therapy? Uh, how do you actually anticipate patients needing to have maybe a, a knee replacement or a hip replacement based off their strength and based off their form in certain movements that they're doing on the tonal, which mm -hmm. is, is all sort of available there. So I said, this is, this is a this is a groundbreaking technology. And you got involved in the company right kind of mid COVID as well. You've been there for about a year. I, I did. Yeah. I moved over right in the middle of uh, uh, everybody being, uh, you know, held hostage in their homes. Was that a, was that a strange shift? And, and what was the size of the organization when you joined? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there were probably a hundred people or less, maybe, you know, 75 to hundred people here. Um, it, it was a weird shift, right? I was, I was, had a, a strong network uh, through a lot of face-to-face -face interactions that I'd had over four years at, at J&J. &J, and then we were in sort of this remote working environment for the last year that I was at J&J. &J, but because I'd had all those relationships, it was quite easy for me to make that transition. 
And then I jumped into this brand new company, high growth, uh, you know, in the middle of COVID and having to build relationships over, <laughs> over Zoom and learn the company and learn the technology without, you know, all the opportunities to go visit the sites in Taiwan or Mexico, go visit our refurb center in Northern California, et cetera. So it's, it, it was, um, it's been an, a challenge and, and uh, an interesting growth opportunity. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to tell people and kind of explain in a second what tonal is. But I was at a friend's home in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, and even prior to that, I was at a conference called the Genius Network, and um, there was a VC who was up on stage. I think his name was Tim Chang, and my fiance is it Tim Chang that, that is one of the venture capitalists with you guys? It yeah. is, yeah. And um, my fiance become became mildly obsessed with Tim Chang. She's like, "Oh my god, he's so gorgeous, and he's wicked, wicked smart, and he plays guitar, and he's in crazy shape." And I'm like, "Dude, like, are you leaving me for this guy? Like, yeah, he's a good looking guy, but what is this guy?" And then he started talking about the brand, and and he was really kind of really into tonal. I'm like, "Wow, this is kind of cool." And then about two weeks later, I was over at a friend's place, the the CEO of the Genius Network, Joe Polish. And um, just at his place and we were talking and he said, I want to show you this new workout thing that I've got. And I'm like, oh God, like another machine, right? And I walked into the, to, to his gym area of his home and saw this like flat screen TV thing kind of hanging against the wall. And then he had me do a couple of exercises on it. And I don't know how to describe it other than like a fitness center meets an iPad or a Tesla, but like it blew my mind. Like everything, yeah. everything felt perfect and looked perfect and worked. And I'm like, well, it can't, it can't like, you're going to pull it off the wall. And like, no, I mean, you can do, how do you describe this thing to people? Yeah. I'm going to have to link to it in the show notes too. Cause I just did a horrible job of explaining it. No, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's, it, it is hard to explain. And that is one of the things that I think as a company, we're trying to uh, we're really trying to figure out how do we, how do we educate people on this new way of working out? It is absolutely like mm -hmm. Tesla. And that's mm -hmm. why I said it was groundbreaking at the beginning. This is a completely new way of working out. This is not the old school sort of dumbbells and chains in a, in a, uh, uh, in a big gym. I mean, you, just like you said it, it's an, you know, it's something that goes right on your wall. Uh, you know, it happens to sit right in my office. Oh, you've got it right behind you. There it is. I didn't even yeah. know. Yeah. Like yeah, you, yeah, you almost yeah. forget that it's even there. It's incredible. Yeah. And the, and what's great about it is you can do your entire workout in a seven by seven space. Mm -hmm. And I, and I mean, you know, you, you can do lat pull downs, you can do squats, you can do bicep curls, you can do, you know, overhead press, you can do any, anything that you could ever do in a gym. It's right there in a seven by seven space. And the other beauty about it is that it's, it's based on electromechanical, uh, uh, electromagnetic weights is the technology behind it. And what it does is it actually with, with the AI behind that is it actually provides um, a, a understanding of how much weight that you're pushing or pulling and it adjusts your weight based off your strength. And yeah. it does it across the course of the range of motion. So at your strongest point, it is actually providing you more resistance to generate more weight, to generate more, um, uh, more difficulty through that range of motion. And what we find 
in our in our research is that is actually the way to increase strength the fastest. It's kind of like a car with autopilot that just kind of our adaptive cruise control where it just like speeds up and slows down as it's supposed to. It feels like the machine actually gets stronger and lighter as it's supposed to as well. It's really incredible technology. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think it's so when you think about dumbbells, they're always providing you, let's say you're going to do, you know, 25 pounds of uh, a bench press. Uh, they're providing you that resistance. But what Tonal is doing is the resistance curve sort of throughout each movement is kind of taxing your muscles when they're your strongest. Mm. And, and physiologically, that provides more impact on a rep to rep, on a rep to rep basis. And then the other piece that's really interesting about the technology is that it's constantly monitoring you. So it's telling you, you know, when I, when I do things, it'll say, um, you know, strengthen, you know, strengthen your core, you know, and try to keep yourself level. So it's basically capturing the fact that I'm struggling through a particular rep and it's giving me a form feedback immediately, yeah. which is telling me, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying too hard to do something. Right. And then, it, and then throughout that rate weight resistance, it'll either reduce your weight or increase your weight based off how you're performing and how your, how your strength is performing over time. And would, would so, it be fair to say that it's kind of gamifying the workout as well? Is it, or is that cheapening it in some way? I don't, I don't think so. I think there is, you know, there's this part of um, engaging uh, each of us in our workout and keeping us engaged through that time, right? You can call that gamification. I call it um, how do you keep somebody motivated to continue their workout mm. through, you know, 45 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour? Um, and, so, and, and we all know it gets hard and sometimes boring. And so how do you create that engagement, uh, you know, with each of our, our members uh, to, to, you know, push through, continue, get stronger? So Peloton, you know, clearly is the, I guess, the market leader or one of the market leaders in this, the cycling side of the space. Would this be kind of the rest of the gym? Is that... Or... Yeah, I mean, so they are definitely uh, focused on cardio, right? Our, our focus is you can do a high impact, um, uh, you know, uh, high, inter high impact interval training and get both, both strength training and cardio in the same workout, right? So, and actually, you know, strength training um, is, you know, from a particularly being a woman, as you get older, even more important as part of your overall health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And so we, we see, uh, you know, Tonal as, as really the, not necessarily a connected fitness, but more of an intelligent uh, fitness uh, capability. And yeah, is it, is it in addition to, to uh, you know, a Peloton or some, of, uh, some other cardio uh, capability? It could be. Um, but we also believe that uh, much of what we offer on the Tonal could holistic completely yeah i was um when i first saw it at joe's place i said to him that it's almost irresponsible for every company not to have one at least in their office because it can go anywhere you don't have the excuse well we don't have the floor space for a personal gym anymore now this can go in your lunchroom it can go in an empty meeting room it can just like and it takes up so little space but it's so elegant and i think it's really targeting the whole gen y kind of cohort that just understands it and it was so simple like it, it it is so simple like an iphone or a tesla it just works right absolutely the other thing we haven't talked about cameron is that you know one of the things that ali felt was important in his own journey in 
actually creating this technology um, was based off of him wanting to lose weight and and really change his 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 life. And you know, he felt going to the gym. He saw results from strength training, um, and but felt like uh, everybody could use a personal trainer. You know, and what what we also do with Total is have these coaches that are guiding you through your workouts, mm. and and that's part of you know, helping you understand different moves that you have. If I went to the gym today, I would not know, like, what are the five or seven moves that I should do in the 30 minutes that I'm there? I don't need to decide that. I go on, I go to a professional coach. I see, okay, I want to work on legs today, hit legs. And I've got, you know, sometimes PhDs uh, in exercise physiology that are guiding me through you know, seven, seven different moves. And are these, are these live one-on-one being guided or are they more AI or more like video sessions? Like the Peloton is some are live, I guess. Yeah. So we have a couple, we have, uh, um, guided classes that are live. So if I went on uh, the tunnel app right now, I'd probably see there's a class starting at 10 or starting at 10 30. Um, and I've been on many of those. There are a lot of fun. People are cheering you as you're going through the workout. Um, and you'll have, you know, 80 to hundred people on those workouts. Um, and then those are recorded. So you can later do those, um, if you'd like. And then we have other ones that are just, um, uh, you know, filmed and then put on the tonal for you to take a look at. So we've got a lot, pretty large library of different content, uh, and different classes that, uh, uh, that our that our members can uh, can access, and it's not just strength training. We also do things like uh, just stretching. Uh, right. We have we have uh, courses on stretching. We also have um, you know classes on meditation. Interesting. Okay, so I, and I don't want to keep bringing up Peloton. I'm sorry I do, but the, Peloton t- to me feels like one of the worst run companies of the last few years. Like they just blew through their financing. My sister was is in been in the sports business. She's 180,000 people playing co-ed intramural sports in her leagues. And so she's always been obsessed with sports. And she bought Peloton stock. I'm like, no, it's going to zero. Or not to zero, but it, it ain't gonna do well. They're just burning through money. What are what's Tonal doing to to not go down that track? Like you, you know, you, I'm sure you raised money. How are you operating? How are you gonna be different from Peloton? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I think um you know, we, we owe Peloton, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of kudos for what they've done. They've opened up a new market. Yeah. Um, but they've also, we, there's a lot of learnings that, that we need to take from them as you highlight. Right. Um, you know, I think some of the things that we're, we're making sure that we're thinking through is, you know, where do you, where do you actually create fixed infrastructure in your business and where do you continue to variableize your business? Um, based off of, you know, our ability to predict demand, right? And, you know, it's a new market, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, you know, do you see the same trajectory? Um, Do you understand uh, which markets that you're trying to, you know, um, access? Do you understand the TAM? Um, And I think all of those are, you know, they're difficult questions to to ask and answer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the, the discipline that we have around unit economics, um, around, you know, driving profitability on both our hardware as well as our entire delivery process um, is, is just absolutely critical. So we're, we're trying to balance the fact that we want to grow um, and, and people want the product, 
we want to expand into Canada and into other markets, but we also need to be uh, disciplined about how we make those decisions and so that we're prepared, both in terms of our ability to serve our, serve our customers well, but also in terms of our unit economics. And I think a lot of that gets back to making sure that, you know, we, we create fixed leverage and fixed cost where it makes sense. And we maintain variable costs um, so that we can create, uh, we can move based off of what happens with demand. And that's one of the biggest challenges that Peloton had, which has been well stated if you read any of the articles, is they bought manufacturing facilities, they bought warehousing, they bought delivery services. And then when demand dropped off, that was all fixed costs that created a headwind mm-hmm. against the PL. So I think we we we're being, you know, we're learning from those things. Um, but for sure we're being more disciplined about unit, unit unit economics at the end of the day. What's the key for you to get adoption? Is it to have people see the product or try the product? Like I remember, you know, I bought my first Tesla, gosh, like eight years ago, but you know, you could at least see them in the mall. Um, I never even test drove it though. I bought it off the internet and it just kind of showed up three weeks later, but I understood what a car was and I, you know, I saw it in the mall and I was like, okay, I get it. Are, 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 is it to get people to try this? Like we understood what a bicycle was and then we understood kind of the, the video coaching or whatever that would go along with the cycle. But how do you get people to get this thing? Cause for me, that's yes. what it was. As soon as I touched it, I'm like, oh shit, I need this. Like, it's amazing. And, and that is exactly what we find, Cameron. As soon as somebody, and the same thing happened to me, right? I went in, I did a demo of this thing, and I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. This is amazing. I can see so much personal uh, benefit for me, but such a broad benefit to so many industries. So, yeah, our, our, our goal is, is to, we're targeting 45 million households, which is, represents around 60 billion addressable strength training market. And what we have found is that we get very high conversion rates when people actually get on and try the tunnels. So how do you get more people touching and experiencing the magic of this product, right? And that's, you know, one, like you said, um, uh, you know, getting into our retail locations. We have several around the country, Austin, New York, uh, San Francisco. Um, But we also have uh, retail locations, which we haven't advertised as well as we should. Um, in Nordstrom locations, right? Wow. So, which is an amazing footprint if you think about it and a great partnership because Nordstrom has a very similar yeah. uh, sort of philosophy around um, engagement with customers and, and having a, uh, an excellent customer experience. And that's what we strive to do as well. So, you know, our, our goals for, for this next year are really to get more people into both our retail locations as well as the uh, Nordstrom locations in, in which we've got uh, tunnels installed and let them feel the magic of it. Because once they do, uh, we have a really high conversion rate within 30 days. Is Nordstrom an investor or just a, a marketing retail partner or just, uh, just a marketing? Just, yeah, just a marketing retail partner. We did a, we did a deal, deal with them to put... Um, our tunnels in their stores and uh, gives us an opportunity to create footprint at, at again a lower cost, right? Reducing our variables, <laughs> or keeping our, yeah. our fixed spend, our fixed uh, assets low, um, and uh, it, you know they're they're everywhere that we want to be in terms of accessing our our customer base. So, yeah, it's just a just a marketing uh, uh, partnership with them. All right, last question, just on the the actual product, and I want to go back into some of the operations of the, the business and your skill set as a COO. What's the cost of the product? What's it cost a customer to get one of these things, you know, installed and using it monthly? 
Yeah, it's uh, so you you get the actual product and the smart accessories uh, for about thirty five hundred dollars, and then it's around two hundred and fifty dollars to to actually in sorry two hundred and ninety five dollars to actually install the product, um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's if you compare that to a gym membership, uh, it's you know pays back fairly quickly, particularly if you add on to that personal training. Yeah. Right. Because as I mentioned earlier, every, you know, every class is guided uh, with a uh, with a qualified personal trainer. Um, you, you add personal training, that's fifty dollars an hour easily. Yeah. And then is there a monthly fee on, on that, like a subscription? There that... is. Yeah. So we have a, a forty nine dollar uh, monthly uh, subscription fee, which okay. gives you access to, you know, all of the content and our continued uh, library uh, enhancements of, uh, of content. Yeah, it's amazing. I think once your target demographic tries it, it's like, I, I need to have one of these things. That, but it's when you're looking at it, it's like, I don't really get it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think you're, I think you've got a winning product for sure. So talk, tell me about, I want to go back into kind of your career and, and then what has allowed you to kind of be the chief operations officer at, at Tonal. Where do you think the skills or what were the skills that you pulled out of Medtronic and J&J that you carry with you today? Yeah, I think it's I think the first is just managing a significant, uh, you know, breadth of complexity right across, you know, physical distribution to uh, logistics uh, on a global scale. So how do you get product from, you know, Asia or from uh, parts of North America? to a an end customer um, and just understanding kind of the end-to-end uh, operation. Um, I think through that in any operation, it's around managing managing cost, optimizing uh, you know your cost structure throughout and, and ultimately trying to expand your 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 margins uh, to create uh, profitability for the company. Um, you know, and I think it's, I, I think outside of the technical aspects, I think it's also just about leading large uh, organizations um, mm. and, and both leading large organizations that are scaling as well as leading large organizations that, that are um, uh, having challenges in terms of continued growth, right? Which means now you got to even get tighter on, on the management of uh, what you're working on uh, and, you uh, you know, how you're investing your capital, how you're investing your, your uh, operating expenses. So, and I, I think on the, on the people side, you know, it's, it's how you engage an organization um, to, uh, to really be aligned around strategic objectives and, and drive the business to the next level. And, um, you know, it's bringing in the appropriate talent to do those things, but, but also nurturing that talent um, in a quick way through coaching and, and developing, um, particularly in this environment where, where we're growing so quickly, um, you know, how do you, how do you get the best out of people? Um, because you, you know, when you're in a small company growing fast, it's not, not like you have an, uh, an indefinite amount of, um, resources and money. Um, you have to get the best out of everybody. Uh, and you learn, and you learn that I think in big companies and complex operations. Well, and I was curious about that with on the big company side, like the Medtronic and J&J are not small companies. Those are huge organizations. And, you know, you, you mentioned that, that running a big company, but then Tonal wasn't big yet. Now, how many employees are there now? Uh, it's close to uh, six, seven hundred. 
Okay. So from a hundred to six, 700, that's <laughs> yeah. right. But, but that's, uh, a, but that's crazy growth. So yeah. did you have to adapt or change your leadership or your style to go from a big corporate to a hundred that was then scaling quickly, or is it kind of the same once you get past the hundred, 300 people? You know, it's a, it's, it's a great question. I think, um, so, you know, when I was at Metronic, uh, when I first started there, it was probably a $5 billion business. Oh, wow. it's, a, it's a huge company today, right? It's $30 billion after yeah. some big acquisitions and organic growth. So that, so I did see a, a significant change in size of the company over time. Um, but do you use different skills? I, I think um, I've, I've always kind of been a hands-on operations leader. I have no problem going extremely deep and at the same time being able to lift my head and, and look strategically or systemically across the business. What does this mean? Um, I think systems thinking in both large and small companies are really, really critical. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think that there's a difference there, right? You have to be able to get, get into the details. And at the same time, you can't lose yourself in the details. Um, I think the, what gets amplified in a small business um, is everything, right? Um, culture gets amplified, talent gets amplified, process gaps get amplified. In a larger company, um, you, you can kind of get through things if you have four or five people that aren't rowing the boat or uh, you know, not at the level that they need to be. You can get through things when certain processes maybe aren't, aren't working. Uh, that well, and you have time to sort of uh, resolve those issues, you know, you have more time to resolve the issues. In a small company, those things are, are right in your face, because you're depending on every single person in the company to, to row and to be effective. Mm. Um, and, and when they're not, it's clear, it becomes very, very clear where you have gaps in the organization. Um, and the same thing with processes, a process, even smaller processes that are not working well, have an immediate impact impact either your profitability or your customer um, and they need to be solved fast and so the skills that I've brought is my ability to go deep um, while at the same time continuing to make sure that the team understands we can't solve every every little problem um, individually we also need to think about it in a programmatic framework in terms of a roadmap of things that need to happen what should we solve first and what should we solve second and third and really a lot, you know, providing that sort of overview to the company or to the to the organization um, that helps us focus because there's so many things to fix, so many things to fix fast. Mm -hmm. um, the, the challenge becomes, you know, how do you, how do you do that in a uh, in a structured manner? And I think that um, that's something I learned at a big company. How do you prioritize? I I, I, well, I was mentioning tonal to somebody recently, and they said, "Oh, is that kind of like mirror?" And then they said Lululemon got is is it similar the same different I don't even I hadn't seen it and yeah I would not say it's it's similar to to Mirror and you know it's funny that as our brand awareness has uh, improved over the course of this year we have less and less people saying oh is that the Mirror um, because then they know tonal I when I got here our brand awareness was fifteen percent twenty percent it's it's over thirty percent now so. We've done a lot over the last 12 months to really make sure people know who we are. Um, the, the difference is, is that Mirror is still using sort of the, the dumbbell approach. They, what's similar, 
um, is that you're interacting uh, from a content perspective with somebody on a screen, but they're, they're completely different products. So Yeah. I, and I haven't seen it yet. I've, I've been the last six months I've been in like Antarctica, Chile, Costa Rica, the Mediterranean, all the through the Mediterranean. So I literally haven't been around a big city to, to see this thing. Is it just like a, is it just like a TV and you're doing weights in front of a TV then? Similarly. Yeah. Okay. Similarly. It, it's, okay. it, it, it's heavy. It's much, it's heavier and it sits against the wall as well, but it doesn't uh, adhere to the wall like cars does. We just need people to try this darn tonal. Like we need to get it in front of people. So they go, fuck, I get it. Like, it, cause, it, <laughs> cause once, cause it, it was Indeed. just so damn intuitive. Like I was like, ah, this is crazy. All right. So that takes care of that question. Um, uh, it talked to me a little bit about the VC, the, the funding side of things and has that, how is that to work within? Were you working? Cause you weren't probably working within that environment with Medtronic or were you, maybe you were with Medtronic, but not with J and J. Yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't. And um, you know, it's, it, it is, it is interesting um, in, in the way that, so, so the way big companies uh, operate is they, they do have an executive team that acts a bit like a board of directors, which mm. would be investors. Right. And they're assessing how they're going to allocate budgets based off of, you know, presentations from each of the business units and presentations from, you know, the functions around where we need to focus our time in order to create profitability, right? And, you know, you know, earnings per, per share. So the, the economics and, and the process is, is similar in that way. We just happen to be going to a board and to venture capital companies providing the same sort of insight, right? Okay. The, the, a little bit, a little bit. The difference is that we're not telling them necessarily all of the details on how. Uh, we're simply telling them the what, uh, and they expect us to figure out the how. In a big company, you're you're telling you're at you're telling them both the what and the how, um, <laughs> and they're they're validating. I think more the how um, in that conversation and that discussion in terms of how they're going to allocate funds. The venture capital company says, "What are you going to do?" Um, and what's that, what's how that, how's that going to be delivered in terms of financial um, outcomes? And then it's our job to figure out the how. And now the tech sector has just been obliterated in the last three months. I'm excited because I keep buying more stock every couple of weeks because I love it when the markets are down, I just start loading up. Have the VCs gotten tighter with you or more cautious or has anything changed? Yeah, I think what, what's changed is they want to see um, a path to profitability Right, that that is, um, you know, maybe maybe shorter uh, than they would have expected from a Peloton. Um, I mean, Peloton is still losing a lot of money, right? Right, and they and and frankly, you know, VCs are saying that that's that's untenable. Yeah. Um, we need to we need to see a path to profitability, uh, you know, and much much faster. I mean, they'll they'll ex- they'll expect or you know um, accept excuse me they'll accept the fact that we're growing we're growing fast and you need to invest in order to grow. Uh, but at the same time, they expect more discipline in, in your unit economics. Yeah. And we've taken that we've taken that on board. Although our thinking even prior to some of the Peloton um, uh, uh, situations that we've seen, even prior to that, we were very disciplined in, in the way that we were spending. Yeah, they're, they're hemorrhaging cash and, and no one's died on a tonal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, touch wood, right? I, I My gosh. I can't believe that. I was just like, oh, they just can't win. That was just such a sad, anyway, whatever, poor guys. Um, 
you talked about engaging people. Talk to us a little bit about operations and how you're building your team and how you engage teams. And, and I'm particularly obsessed in the last year or so about, about growing leaders. I've always wanted to grow my people. And I think that's my core job. Can you talk a little bit about that to us? Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of, actually one of the reasons why I wanted to, to come and work for a small growing company, right? After having spent, you know, 20 plus years of my career in big companies where, where it's great learning ground for, for in a lot of ways, in, including talent development, coaching, uh, being a great leader. Um, but I wanted to bring that back to a company that I felt had a, a tremendous uh, upside of potential, which is tonal. Um, and say, like, how can I give back in some way? And so similar to you, Cameron, I feel the same is that it's, it's, uh, it's my duty as, as I get older in my career to, uh, to grow new leaders, particularly in the operations space where I've spent the majority of my career. So, um, you know, and I think as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm much more um, uh, honest and authentic about my feedback mm. um, and much more frequent about it. Right. So um and, and what I find is, is uh, the leaders that, that I've brought in um, appreciate it, right? They say, thank you for that. And, you know, sometimes they're a little bit hard conversations. Uh, I had one just uh, earlier in the week, um, but at the end of the I could hear it um, in the person's voice, but in, in, at the end of the day, uh, it was a heartfelt, you know, thanks for that. And I, and I know that's a blind spot and I know I need to continue to get better. And, and you see it, you, you know, when people, um, get the feedback, you can see that they, you know, most of the time they immediately try to put it into, into action. You know, how do I, how do I make this come to life? Um, and that's, that's the type of, of leader I look for, both in terms of their ability to be reflective, um, but their ability to make an effort to change their behavior uh, and the way that they operate. It feels like you bring a, a fair amount of empathy with the wisdom that comes into. So when you're giving that feedback to somebody, probably not hitting them like we did when we were 27 years old without really being that aware, right? The emotional intelligence now is is just part of how we operate. I'm absolutely. curious. Yeah, absolutely. I just said to somebody the other day that um, sort of interpersonal skills is just as important as intellectual uh, capability as higher that you go in organizations. I was never smart enough to get an MBA. I, I, I wouldn't have even been allowed to write my GMAT. I was just not one of those well, students. So, and but I'm curious what your thoughts are. This is a really random question, by the way. I'm curious what your thoughts are on people who want to be kind of leaders or execs or COOs in thinking about getting an MBA today versus getting, and you're not that old, but thinking about getting an MBA 20 years ago when, you know, we, I think we needed to be the smartest person in the room back then. Do you have any thoughts around MBAs now versus 20 years ago? I, I actually have, but I, I think getting an MBA is, is a really smart move. And there's a few reasons why. Number one, um, what you learn in an MBA is how to write. So you are constantly, constantly writing, writing case studies, um, you know, and it's, and it's getting your thoughts down on paper in a logical way. That, mm. that, that's what an, that's one of the things an MBA teaches you. The other thing it teaches you um, is is really how to assess a situation and how to assess it quickly. You can also get that through consulting. I consulted for a little while, um, and you learn very fast to get the lay of the land, understand uh, the the situation both organizationally as well as um, as well as the financial aspects of it to create recommendations quick. 
but that's all trained through an MBA program, right? right? So you're constantly reading case studies and saying, okay, what, what, what happened? You read Peloton would be an amazing case study to do in an MBA right. program. Yeah. What the hell happened? What would you have done differently? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, when, when would you have seen? Yeah, what some did of they the, see? Exactly. And the, those are the types of things that you just, you read so many different real uh, situations. And then, and then the other piece, the third piece that you learn in an MBA program is how to collaborate across. That's what I, gonna, I think the collaboration yeah. would be key. Yeah. I mean, because you read a case study and I can sit, you know, in in my four walls and write all the things that I think are really cool about it. And wow, I'm so smart and learned all these things. And then you get in front of somebody else or five other people and the every different lens that comes from, Mm -hmm. you know, their background and experiences to, you know, result in this is what I see. Uh, You always I'm always amazed. Huh? I never saw that. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and so that those really, three things are really, really important in an MBA. I think they 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 teach you those things that are really critical to be successful in business. I think that collaboration is a really underappreciated skill set because, especially when you get so many smart people in the room, and you can have that kind of well, I'm already smart, I know what I'm doing, versus just slowing it down and getting the wisdom. I call it ideas having sex. You get kind of the wisdom of the people, and then it merges into the right answer or a better answer or a cooler way. All right. I want to go back to the 21, 22 year old Shannon Crespin. I want you to give yourself some advice that you wish you'd known when you were 21, 22, that you know for sure to be true today. Yeah. I think it's, it's all about balancing uh, the fact that interpersonal uh, capabilities, the EQ side is equally or more important than Mm. the, uh, than the intellectual side. I, I, I remember uh, talking to um, a, uh, a guy that owned uh, an accounting firm. I was doing some work work for him. And he said to me, Shannon, continue to develop a pleasing personality. He said, I know a lot of smart people. I know smart, a lot of smart guys sitting in their office chewing on their ties. <laughs> um, and that I always, I, I was probably 21. And I always remember uh, remember him saying that. And I think it's, I think it's just critically important. I think the other is, um, you know, and I, and I did this, but I would put an exclamation point, you know, spend the time on your education, get the most out of it, right? Both undergrad and graduate. Um, doesn't necessarily matter too much where you go to school, although, you know, I have taken some extended classes in Stanford and Harvard and, and the quality of education that you get pretty there strong. is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you can get into those schools and, and you have the, the, the money and the, the uh, resources to do it, you should absolutely strive for it. But regardless of where you go, you know, put the effort in, get the most out of it because it, it will pay back in spades. Even I was talking to my nephew the other day and he was like, why do we have, why do I have to know about, you know, algebra? And I said, Fletcher, man, I use algebra every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's, it's not the actual algebra itself, but the method uh, or the logic behind some of these things, statistics is another one I use yeah. quite frequently. So you know, those are, those are useful skills. Yeah. And, uh, stats and algebra for sure. I still can't figure out why we had to learn how to multiply matrixes, but stats and <laughs> algebra, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Shannon Crespin, the chief operations officer from Tonal. Thanks so much for sharing with us on the second clan podcast. Really appreciate the time. And by the way, you did develop a very pleasing personality. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Cameron. I appreciate that. Very, very much appreciate that. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com. 